I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily. Selected as Best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Hey guys, Rachel Kanye here. Today's guest is Sean Shepard, founding partner of GrowthX and GrowthX Academy. Through Sean's work with GrowthX, he has learned a lot about what kind of environment businesses flourish in while funding startups across the globe. In this episode, he sits down with Ian to share the lessons he's learned from traveling around the world and what cities can do to foster an innovative environment. Stay tuned for more from Sean Shepard of GrowthX. Welcome to a special episode of Mission Daily. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And in studio, my good friend, Sean Shepard, what's going on? What's up, Ian? How are you, man? It is, uh, it's a great day and a great day to have you in studio because we got you fresh off a flight to the other end of the world. Where are you coming, <laughs> where are you coming from? Um, the easternmost point of North America. Uh, yeah, about this time yesterday, I was standing on this area called Cape Steer in Newfoundland, Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador province, actually. It was beautiful, fascinating place, rustic, extreme, rocky, craggy, all these cool buildings that are very colonial. In fact, I learned a couple of really interesting things. Number one, I didn't know there was a time zone that had a half an hour on it. No kidding. I didn't it's know a, that either. Yeah, it's a half an hour. It's four, it's four hours and 30 minutes ahead of us here in the West Coast. So I was a half hour late for everything for two days. Without <laughs> even really, <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I hadn't updated my uh, my uh, my watch. Well, normally you're still a wear, half hour late. I still wear an old school watch, you know. What is that? <laughs> like a like real watch. Like an Apple watch? <laughs> oh, the seal watch my dad gave me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So no, it, do, I, it doesn't automatically update. I should have been looking at my phone the whole time, but I wasn't. So we wanted to bring you in fresh off your flight, full of coffee, um, <laughs> to talk about what you've been working on at GrowthX. Um, it's been for, gosh, it's been forever since we had you on the show. It's been been a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been traveling a lot. Yeah, and you've been traveling a lot, and you've been seeing different parts of uh, of the globe and talking to people and talking about what GrowthX is working on. So quick overview, like let's give a recap for our listeners on what GrowthX is and what you're working on. Sure, GrowthX is a Silicon Valley based um, seed stage technology fund that also has an accelerator that's focused on market development, not product development. We have an academy that trains people to work in market development and growth marketing, growth hacking, UX design thinking roles inside of startups or just generally in the in in the high growth technology arenas we have a corporate innovation group that works with large corporations to help them commercialize new innovations develop and operate open innovation manage their corporate venture capital and then countries started to approach us and say hey can you help us do here what you're doing in the bay area and before you know it we started licensing a tech ecosystem model to different countries into different communities so local governments regional governments national governments who are all struggling with the same thing a very high failure rate of startups and innovations and a workforce readiness problem, a job and economic development growth problem for the fourth industrial revolution. So yeah, so now we're we're running around teaching people how to do their own version of a Silicon Valley in a box, if you will. Yeah. And when we when we talked the about the best parts of Silicon Valley, by the way, not yeah. the, not the ones that not the dark underbelly. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because I think because we're here 
and a lot of our guests, especially the ones that come in studio, most folks are live in and around the Bay Area. And we talk a lot about, you know, so we just had the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank on. Chad and Greg had a really interesting conversation about innovation mm-hmm. and about innovation that happens here specifically. And when you and I were talking before the before we got on air about this idea of Silicon Valley in a box, you know, one of the things that's so great about this place is the mindset. And a lot of people get caught up in a bunch of the bad stuff like you were kind of talking about. We're not really going to talk about that stuff today. Story for another day. Uh, and it, Too I, much negative energy. I, I, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And, and I it think does that, no one any, any good. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think, you know, you kind of cut off your nose by your face at that point when you're just kind of worried about the warts. It's like any, uh, any good founder. We all have warts, right? Like you have to. But if you, uh, when you're making a new hire, or you're looking to invest in a company, you have to focus on what are their superpowers. And Silicon Valley has some really good ones. And I think it starts with mindset. Just it does. The, we find what we focus on, good or bad. Yeah, just the idea that I, I was talking to someone the other day about the non-compete clause in California mm-hmm. and what a crazy thing this is because you have people that jump from, you know, Google to Apple to uh, Facebook to Facebook and back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really unique culture of innovation. And what you're doing at GrowthX is bringing that culture of innovation to other countries, but it's not just the mindset. What are the other things that you're bringing with this GrowthX and this, you know, quote unquote, Silicon Valley in a box? Yeah, I would say we're helping companies and investors learn how to invest in a fully aligned way in their communities to support entrepreneurship and innovation at home so they don't lose their best talent to places like the Valley. People don't leave because they want to, they leave because they think they have to. Yeah. Then we create a structure for investment that allows everyone to win, the investors, the government, the uh, the entrepreneurs, the talent that want to work in them, the people who want to be their customers and buy from them. And we did that accidentally. I call it the accidental ecosystem. We just started out trying to solve our own problem. We were just a bunch of serial entrepreneurs turned investors that turned frustrated investors because people's companies were getting shut down for the wrong reasons, because they either didn't know how to behave with the limited resources that they had and in an organized, efficient way to get to their truth about where their product fits in the market and find profitability. But we invest in them, we help them grow, we develop the talent to work in them, and then we create a business model for that community in the efforts. So it becomes a, through tuition and services provided to the community. So it becomes a virtuous ecosystem that supports itself. The one thing when I travel all over the world that I see from everybody who's been trying to solve this problem and trying to create their own culture of innovation, if you will, and entrepreneurship that looks and feels like the Valley is that they lack a couple of basic things. They lack a coordinated effort with full alignment. As I mentioned, they lack the framework on how to execute against that. And then they lack a business model to sustain it. So everybody's left to the whims of the political climate to get grants and funding to fund their incubators and accelerators. Corporations are frustrated because they don't know how to work within that ecosystem entrepreneurs are frustrated because they don't get the talented individuals or the appropriate support at home. So they leave. Um, and it starts to become, you know, that snowball effect. And so we're now in there saying there's a better way. It's worked for us. Um, we've reduced the failure rate of startups in our community dramatically with this approach. And we accidentally created a business model 
Yeah, totally. Right? We were we were serial entrepreneurs, turned investors, turned frustrated investors because they were failing for the wrong reason. So we started addressing why they were failing. And it had more to do with sales, marketing, and behaviors of the team than it had to do with the product or the technology. None of our companies were failing because they couldn't get the product to work. They were failing because they couldn't get the market to adopt it, or they didn't have enough time, or they misallocated resources, or there was no differentiation in the marketplace, or there was no need, or there was conflict in the team. And it was all of those were the reasons. So we built an accelerator program that was bespoke, designed specifically to address those needs and help our companies find the truth. There's three objectives to everything that we do. First is to find the truth. Whatever that truth is and how you want to deal with it, it's entirely up to you. The second is to create a functional learning organization out of the team of people. And that could be as little as two humans uh, pursuing that truth in the most accelerated and, and efficient, effective way possible, given the limited resources you have. And then the third is, can we find profitability? Can we at least find indications uh, and show a path towards profitability through this process? And when you do that and you stay focused on that and you have the mindset to support it that says, I don't know what I don't know yet, but I'm here to learn. And you become problem-oriented and solution-oriented associated, associated with your customer's problem, um, you can get there faster. You have a better chance of staying alive long enough to learn where your place is in the market, if it is at all. And then through the course of that, you find out very quickly that as you're helping your companies, sooner or later you have to step back and let them fly on their own and leave the nest. And in order to do that, that requires more talented individuals. But it needs to be stage-relevant talent, people who know how to actually take something someplace new and actually go from zero to one, not one to N, right? And then when you do that, now you've got a tuition-based business model through the, the academy where these people are working on real projects with real companies, building a portfolio of experience. Startups are getting help. They're building relationships with each other, and they might end up getting hired by them, but at least they're going to learn and understand what this world is like and whether or not they want to work in it. But they're going to go out with this new set of experienced skills by doing things, right? You guys had one of fantastic, what was it, the 10 keys to accelerated learning? Number yeah, one was direct yeah. experience, Yep. right? Couldn't agree more. So that direct experience- Episode one of yes, Mission Daily. That's, that's right, that's yeah. right. I was there when you guys were talking about that. That's idea. right, yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like a proud papa. Yeah, um, all grown up. <laughs> And then from there, companies wanted to start getting involved and throwing money and people and resources at it. So now you create a customer base. And then you get the community of practitioners and leaders together because they want to hire these people or they want to refer smart people in because the traditional education systems aren't giving them what they need. And now you bring together the public sector, the private entrepreneurs, the private investors, the education system, and the local marketplace of customers and now they're all helping each other in a very coordinated uh, coordinated way, and it's working. Yeah, I mean, and I wanna unpack this a little bit because I think it's a really complex thing that you all are doing, and um, I wanna make sure that we kinda like segment some of the things that I think are really fascinating about this. Number one, people for years have been trying to replicate what happens in Silicon Valley in other places, mm -hmm. and a lot of that comes down to people trying to build innovation in their hometowns mm -hmm. um, and this innovation engine. But what I think what you and your team realized early on is like there's no shortage of ideas. Right. And ultimately, there's not really a shortage of products. But what there is a shortage of is people that can tie those products 
to a business model and then hire the right people to execute that business model. And I thought that it such an interesting right. idea because a lot of times you think, well, it's like, you know, I, well, I don't have an enterprise sales rep in my hometown that can sell this product for for us. And like, yeah, that, that, that might be true, but you could grow that mm -hmm. if you have the right, you know, training around those people and the right mentorship. And I think that that's one of the key things that you all have done so well is like, yeah, the, the education is super important because you have to have a baseline level of knowledge. You have to know the playbooks. That doesn't mean that you're going to run those same playbooks every single time. Right. You, it means you have to know them. You have to get to a base level of understanding mm -hmm. and then get launched into the world and then chaos will ensue. And then you go back to your mentor and say like, wait, this is being thrown at me. What do, what, what have you seen in the past? What could I do? Because that's the yeah. other piece of this. You have to talk to a human being about this. Yeah. I mean, you know, the four pillars of the academy are mindset, mastery, career, and community. And community is exactly what you're talking about. You've got a community of, of mentors who can hire, who can deliver content, build their own brand at the same time, become customers, referrers, and support the overall effort. People in all of these communities where I go, they all want to help. They just need to have a framework, a clarity about how to help. And that doesn't always come through with the with the traditional approaches towards quote unquote innovation. I see real estate plays. I see, I see um, some education plays. Um, I see some consulting. I see a lot of as my partner Andrew Goldner likes to say, innovation theater. There's yeah. not a whole lot behind it. There's a no, lot, totally. lot of tourism. Like for example, here in the valley, did you know there's over 50 million corporate executives and public, just let's say leaders from around the world who travel to the valley every year just to take a picture in front of the Facebook like button. Oh man, I so I drive by that on my way to the yeah. studio every day. And it's uh, like Disneyland or it's that Vegas sign. You and know, again, everybody's standing in front of it waiting for their selfie. And the thing is, I, I'll say this. I, I have no I have no problem with that. Oh, me either. Yeah, like, yeah, and, and I know you don't either. But what the more to the point is like the theater side of this thing. Yeah. And like and back to we the call it tech tourism. Yeah, which is again. Like I have no problem with entrepreneurship. I have no problem with people exploring whether or not they want to be a founder, any of that sort of stuff. I have no problem with like all of that. What I think though, what it comes down to, and I'd love your your thoughts thoughts on this, is that when it gets to the government level, yeah, that you have to realize what you can't do. You can't go to, you know, the US Army and say, I want to build an innovation program and have an innovation program run by a bunch of people who have never built a business. Yeah. And that's part of the problem is removing the barriers to entry for a for a founder. Like there are serious barriers to entry that happened 20 years ago that are no longer a barrier. For example, you might not literally need office space to right. build your company. Right. That was a huge barrier to entry 20 years ago. Now you can build your company all on cloud. Yeah, you, you don't need infrastructure. I think I told you this before. The first time I was my first startup where we raised money, we raised eight and a half million bucks just to build an MVP. We could build that same thing today, 20 years later for about 200,000. Yeah, exactly. We don't need a data center anymore. Yep. And so that's the sort of stuff when you go to these countries, and I'd be curious to, to hear what these conversations are like as you're going to governments, as you're, mm -hmm. as you're going to cities, as you're going to places that want to facilitate this sort of stuff. Like, yeah. What are they saying to you? Like, obviously they're saying we need help, but like, what are, what are the problems kind of in their mind and how do you have to shift that thinking? Yeah. It depends on which constituency you're talking about and let's, we can go through them one by one, right? Investors, let's say individual investors. So we've got, there's two kinds of investors. There's your public investors and your private investors. They're misaligned from, a, from day one. 
right? Public sector's interests are very different than a private sector investor's interests, right? And so now they're trying to collaborate and support, say, uh, an incubator or an accelerator, right? So for example, the private sector rarely would invest in an incubator without ex expecting some kind of a return from it. The public sector will do it as a program to try and create jobs and economic development and support entrepreneurship at home, but their metrics are very different. So hold failure on. rates are much higher. But let, yeah, let's unpack that for a second. Yeah. So you're saying like the YCs of the world is a private private accelerator Correct. or an incubator, I don't know what yeah. they're called. But but basically yeah. it's a for-profit entity that is the goal is to return some amount of money to this to this to fund, their investors. To their investors, right? Correct. Just Whereas, like any other investment vehicle. Yeah. So if you're saying like the city of whatever, make up a city, the city of, of uh Well, let's just go with where I came from. Let's say St. John's, Newfoundland. Yeah, great. Right. So they're gonna they're gonna put money into they're gonna allocate money in the form of a grant to some local folks that are probably either retired business leaders or government people or people who, who have a real passion about wanting to help startups and entrepreneurs get get going. And this isn't just tech. I mean, we're talking tech here, but it's the same thing. It doesn't oh, matter yeah. if it's tech or not. Totally. And then that money will get allocated and distributed for a period of time and then used as a way to support a program. But then say a new politician comes in and has a new initiative, that goes away. Those people are left, the biggest problem they're realizing right now is they don't have a business model. They have no way to sustain themselves. They are at the whims of the political climate and class in their community. Yeah, it's not sustainable. Right, I, can't, I just came back from doing the opening fireside chat at the Canadian Accelerator Summit and they brought in 100, they've got something like 115 accelerators and incubators across the country, all doing different things, but all struggling with the same problem. Like, how do I stay in business if I don't get that money from the government? And it drives everything. And good or bad or indifferent, that's what it is. But what if you could go and say, look, you give me enough funding for one or two years and I'll show you a return on investment where I'm never going to ask you for money again. Yeah. So then a model becomes more like, I own a professional sports franchise and yeah. I'm going to go to my market and put up a bond initiative to get them to pay to build a stadium. I'm going to run it and operate it and create jobs and economic growth in my community. And the community is going to support it right? That's more like the model that is actually working now. And so- Or it's like an endowment almost. Well, you think like that. Like you can take, you take a great entrepreneur who gets and sees what we do and shares the vision and has had similar backgrounds and experiences perhaps, and they want to do this. And they want to bring GrowthX to Canada, like GrowthX Canada or GrowthX Malaysia or GrowthX Korea. We just started a thing called GrowthX Israel. Guess where that is? Anyway- <laughs> What you get is a great private entrepreneur who knows how to navigate and work with the with the public sector there and the government and say, look, let's get together. Let's fund this for this period of time and I'm never gonna ask you for money again. Now we're gonna show economic growth. We're gonna re-educate and upskill the workforce for the innovation economy through the academy. We're going to open an accelerator and incubator program that's going to attract all the top entrepreneurs. You'd say donate the co-working space where we can set all this up and bring everybody together in the same community. And then we're going to open a corporate innovation practice that also generates revenue through services. The tuition in the academy can be reimbursed by the government programs that already exist for their version of accredited education programs. You're not just training the entrepreneurs in growth tactics, but you're training the, uh, the people who, who work for them or want to practice with them in those fields we talked about. And then you also have the ability to deliver that same content, either in the form of workshops, webinars, uh, weekend sessions, full-time stuff, self-paced online learning to the employees of companies in that, in that market. 
Like we have one market that we're working with in Canada that has 80,000 STEM workers that are unemployed right now. Wow. Double digit unemployment because the oil and gas industry has gone down in that area. So these are super smart, heavily educated people who all want a meaningful opportunity to, to apply their craft somewhere. But what if we can take them through workforce retraining and get them working in tech, whether it's encoding or data science or or marketing or UX design thinking or sales. I mean, you pick the programming, engineering, it doesn't really matter. That opportunity exists. And then that brings that whole ecosystem together and everybody's working with, with each other towards this, this goal. And now you can tell your government, look, I, you know, I just need your support in the short term, but I'm going to be driving economic growth and diversifying us away from traditional, let's say, natural resource-based economies into a tech economy. Another big problem in Canada, 85% of the companies never sell outside the country. And they, if they're going to grow, they need to start opening up international markets. Yeah, no, I, I interviewed Gabe Batstone, who's a CEO of a company called Context Air in Canada. And that's, we were talking about that a bunch of just, you know, even as close aligned as Canada and America are, it's really hard because you have to do a bunch of stuff to sell into America. Like yeah. it's, it's not an easy thing. It's not no. like a, a, you know. But when you become part of, say, the GrowthX network, now you've got, you're connected into the valley, you're connected into every city and market and community where there's an academy or there's a, a GrowthX uh, program going. Yeah, so recently I interviewed Josh Nell, who is one of the execs at Lambda School, who is teaching curriculum around web development. And I think that there's a huge push and they're like, they're crushing right now. They're doing really well. And, uh, and their curriculum, surprise, surprise, super community-based. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a Lambda School person for life. Mm -hmm. You can continually go back to the well if you need stuff. Mm -hmm. And guess what it's aligned on? Job creation. Mm -hmm. you, you know, Lambda gets paid once they get hired. So, Got you it. know, it's a really interesting program. But I, what I think this massive opportunity that we're looking at with things like Lambda School and GrowthX is there are a lot of kids out there that, don't want to be web developers, right? Mm -hmm. And web developing, web development is super important and the career opportunities are endless there, mm -hmm. but they want to go into something like sales or business development or growth marketing or, you know, design or something like that. A lot of the stuff that GrowthX is industry leading at, but the problem is you have to be cutting edge. Mm -hmm. It's the stuff you cannot study at a local university. Right. And if you want to get a job at a startup at the cutting edge and you want to be a growth marketer, you need to have a set of skills. So if your innovation hub does not have market developers, the mm -hmm. sales, business development, growth marketing and design people, it's going to be really hard to build a room full of just web developers, they're going to be really good at creating products. To build a room full of salespeople, they're going to be good at selling products. It's the intermixing that makes Silicon Valley great. People never realize this about the Valley. No. They're the best salespeople in the world in the Valley. They're yes. the best marketers in the world in the Valley. Like people just kind of always think it's so product centric. How do you think Oracle grew? <laughs> How do you, like Salesforce, who we work with a bunch at Mission, is the best marketing organization in the world. You could say Mark sure. Benioff is the best marketer he in the world. He could be one of the best. He, and what was he? He was the top sales guy for Larry Ellison at yeah. Oracle. I mean, and, that's where he started, right? And so, I, I mean, I think that there's this kind of misnomer with a lot of these innovation hubs that, you know, like you've talked about that if you put a bunch of technologists and, and coders and stuff in a room, that that's going to solve it. But it's one hand clapping, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what I was talking about with the real estate approach, right? And people, especially in, in the public sector, get real estate. Okay, great. We're going to give you a building. 
and we're going to let y'all just go in there and then suddenly magic is going to happen. That's not the case. You can do this in a very intentional, coordinated, and programmatic way that's measurable, that delivers a return for everyone, for the community, for the entrepreneur, for the talented people that want to work with them, for the companies that want to participate and buy and create new competitive advantages and products from it, um, for the investors. Everybody wins. Yeah. Everybody. And I would also say, uh, you brought up Lambda and, and just traditional education. I'll give, I'm going to give, and you, you and I have talked, you know, there's a reason I launched the academy because I don't believe in the traditional university system and its ability to deliver, you know, relevant, ready talent to the marketplace. But I'll give credit where credit is due. As I travel in the world and I'm talking to these universities, they're not being competitive with us. They're being collaborative. Uh, absolutely. They want our programming. They, so in Malaysia, for example, uh, GrowthX Malaysia, there's a university there. It's the largest tech university in the ASEAN region. It's called Asia Pacific University. They're going to open up a GrowthX accelerator and the programming inside of Asia Pacific University. And I, that shows to me that, that there are people that recognize that if they're going to stay relevant in the long term as educators and institutional education in particular, they're going to, have, they're going to need to start partnering uh, with people like us that have that bleeding edge content. And that's the evolution of where GrowthX is going. We're still doing all of the stuff ourselves and we're learning from it, but we're creating it in a way that, again, can be packaged and taken outside of here. And when we started this, you talked about mindset being the number one thing. That's the beautiful thing about mindset. And that's the beautiful thing about what technology's brought us today is there are no, mindset knows no borders. Yeah. Right? Our way of thinking is getting out into the world, uh, good or bad. And the people who like that thinking and want to adopt that thinking can adopt that thinking now. Yeah. They don't have to wait for some other thing to happen. They don't have to wait for a co-location facility to open up and a bunch of startups to be hanging out and feeling good. They can change that mindset today in an instant and start the process of socializing what's it going to mean for us to move the needle at home, keep our talent at home, invest in ourselves, diversify our economy, create jobs, and improve the lives of everyone in our community and take advantage of this technology revolution. Yeah, I was talking with uh, yesterday on IT Visionaries with Kamut, who's the CIO of Silence, and he was saying that one of the interesting things, they work with a lot of chief information security officers around like, you know, cybersecurity and, and hacking is like this massive issue for every company uh, in the world. Always will be. Yeah, and it always there's will be. There's always going to be evil in the world. And there's always going to be good in the world. And they're always going to be clashing with each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so one of the things that he was saying, the biggest problem is that a lot of chief information security officers like fundamentally don't believe that prevention is possible. Like the first step in, in the process is like admitting you have a problem. Yeah. Right. You have to, <laughs> you have to, you have to like look in the mirror and say prevention is possible. We can actually zero out these threats. Like it is a hundred percent possible. And I think it's the same way with people kind of like leveling up their career is the same sort of idea. You can level up 100%. It yes. is possible. That's the um, mastery edict, right? I mean, anyone can master anything with the deliberate intent and practice over time. And I think that one of the things as, you know, I've been to uh, a bunch of growth hack sessions and obviously I'm a mentor there. I think that that's one of the things that, and whether it's, you know, Lambda School, whether it's growth X or whether it's other boot camps or things like that, the thing that is so like revolutionary is the idea that in this amount of time, in 12 to 16 weeks, in five to eight weeks, in whatever whatever the amount of time is, 
that you can take yourself from zero to one, from not mm -hmm. knowing a single thing about this to having a baseline level of knowledge that allows you to be frisky, that allows you to be yeah. dangerous. Because these are life skills. Yeah. You know, if you've, you've heard me say it once, I'll say it again. There's no distinction anymore between personal and professional development. You develop yourself as a person, you'll develop yourself as a professional. And then over time, you'll realize that, the, that there are very similar skills and patterns that exist regardless of the industry or the sector or the product or the market that you're in. Because ultimately, it's all about humans working with other humans, helping each other, right? We were talking about accelerated learning as a tool, as a marketing tool to help people get better at what they do. And if they're better at what they do, they help the people that they want to help in the same way. And it becomes a virtuous cycle of everyone helping each other out. So this feels at this point, and I know, you know, you and I have talked about this offline, but this feels inevitable, right? Like this, the continue, right? It might take 20 years. It's it going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's just a matter happen. of when it's not an if anymore in my mind. I, I just, again, maybe I have founder bias. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> but I probably do to some degree, but I hardly believe it because everywhere I go and talk to people about it, that that's why they're bringing me in because they all recognize the problem. And for anybody who's listening, who wants to know the first step in being successful, taking any product or service to market, it's clearly defining the problem as radically specifically as you can. And then telling that to the world and the people who agree with you are the ones you can start working with. But we've clearly defined the problem in that way. Most companies fail and they fail for the wrong reasons. And the communities trying to build their versions of Silicon Valley are missing a few key areas, key points, the framework for how to do it in a coordinated way, a business model to support it, right? And the knowledge on how to do it. So they're missing the how. Yeah. I, and I want to get into, you know, for our listeners specifically, people who are looking to, you know, level up their, you know, their skills that might not have this stuff in their hometown, that might not have the incubator down the street. They might have not, not at a have anything even close to that. They might not know anyone who's in a startup. They might not even know why being in a startup is any different or more or less valuable than being in a big company. What do you think would be your kind of advice to someone who is just looking to start taking the first steps? Like to start from a to, career perspective? Yeah, from a career perspective of yeah, like, I, hey, I feel like I am, you know, alone in wherever it is that I live that has no outlet to like learn this type of innovation go google my name and how to hack your career <laughs> and you will get all the content you need on how to apply our market development approach towards your career development reverse engineering your outcomes and starting to have that conversation with yourself about who am i what do i love how do i translate that in the work that i want to do how do i go then build a short list of the kinds of things i want to do with the kinds of people i want to do them with and the kind of place that i want to do them with and then actually leverage market development principles and go to market principles to get meetings with the right people so that you're not interviewing, you're, you're consulting. Yeah. And then you find what we call person company fit. It's no different than finding product market fit. So you are a product, the market is the companies or employers you want to work for or with. And so now how do you apply the same principles? It's all on the how to hack your career content that you can find on the Academy site. Well, you can find well, it We'll link it podcasts up. Podcasts everywhere. Yeah. We'll link it up in the show notes. But that's, and that starts with the very first step is going back to when you're a little kid and figuring out what you love the most. So one of the greatest icebreakers I like to, to, to use is tell me about your favorite toy when you were five years old and why. Oh, that's funny. Right? For me, it was a ball. Didn't matter what it was. Any ball. 
uh, throwing a ball, kicking a ball, eating a ball, didn't matter. <laughs> it was ball, right? <laughs> I mean, I, so, I, I'm with you. I, you know, and so a- now all of a sudden you're back in that mindset of what brought you joy. And I don't think, I, I'm not a big person on the whole um, follow your passion thing. I think if you find your purpose and your meaning, that's what is sustainable and lasting. Passion is fleeting and it can be, you know, it can burn quickly. It can change oftentimes and that's fine. But I think it's more about finding meaning and a purpose and connecting those, connecting to those things. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think that a lot of times you have this idea in your head of like, I love football. I want to work for the Oakland Raiders. Like they're my favorite team sort of thing. Sure. Right? And, and it, again, I grew up wanting to be a golf pro. I did it. Right. And I, I got burned out on it very quickly. But yeah, I exactly. still, I love, you know, I love the sport and it's still a passion of mine, but it's not my meaning. My meaning is giving back to the world through this. Yeah. That's my meaning. But but I think that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, to do the to do the thing that you, you know, are passionate about or that you care about. But I think a lot of people, the the route that you go is necessary might not be the right one. Because you think it's like, oh well, if I wanna work for the Raiders, for the Oakland Raiders, then I could, you know, be a player, which, you know, that boat sailed a long time ago. Uh, I could be a coach, but I don't really know enough about football. I could, I could work for the company. I could go be, uh, you know, work in the finance team. I could do something like that. Those are options. But, you know, for me personally, in my career, the Raiders used to be one of my customers. Like, yeah. That was a cool experience. I got to go to the headquarters and like hang out with the people and interview some players and stuff like that. There's other ways to go into those areas that you're passionate about and it might not be every single second of every day but you can kind of like moonlight into those if you have a career that is potentially you know tangential to that yeah and let's take that for a second and as you would say unpack that a moment it's not that you love football or that you even want to work in the football industry it's something about that what what does that say about you is it is it that you love physical activity you love to be outdoors is it the competition is it the team environment? What are the characteristics about you that, that say, this is who I am because this is how it's being manifested? That's what you got to get to. You got to go two or three levels deeper, you know? And then, then that becomes something that you can apply to any industry as long as you understand what it is. You love to win. You're heavily motivated and very driven, right? You know, you've done a lot of amazing, cool, interesting things in your life at such a young age and everything you've kind of put your mind to, you've, you've manifested right? That's who you are to me as somebody who has mentored you and has watched you grow. That had nothing to do with sports, right? Totally. It's what, it's what sports, it's what makes sports sports is the thing that, that is really you. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? No, totally. And I think another great example of this is all of the people out there now that are working for sports teams in the analytics department. Like if you grew (laughs) up, right, if you grew up and your favorite thing in the world was was basketball and you were you know five five as like yeah. you had no chance to ever play basketball and they're never gonna let you coach you never played or whatever it is there's lots of stuff like that that happened and what these folks did was they got really good at you know data analytics and they got really good at modeling and all this stuff and sure. now they're being hired as analytics people money for, money ball yeah exactly absolutely money ball in the oakland ace but we hired you, a smart kid from yale or whatever out, out, of, out of the cleveland indians office and got him in a trade and said, all right, start analyzing the data. 
But if you went back to their career in yeah. 2008, and you, you can go look, I mean, people post about this stuff. They're like, in 2008, I was writing a sports blog about, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I can't believe that 11 years later, I work for the GM and the president of, you know, the the Mavericks or whatever it you is. You actually can believe it because when you understand how the mind works and how it manifests into the body and your actions, if you can think it, you can do it. It can happen. People who, in my life, the people I've seen that have been the most successful, the ones that visualize their success before it happens. And I always go back to golf because, you know, again, that's my silly, that's my silly vice, last remaining vice in, in my life, frankly. Last? <laughs> um, but Jack Nicholas, arguably the greatest player of all time. I still think Tiger's the greatest, but that's another conversation. And I got a little bit more validation on that last yeah, Saturday, right? I think. And I've been on the record every time he's hit rock bottom that he'd come back and he'd come back stronger because that's that's who he is it's yeah. just how he's so built when, and wired but jack jack visualized never hit a shot he didn't see ever in his life he said i never hit a shot in tournament conditions that i didn't already play through in my head and you'll notice also about jack nicholas he didn't take practice swings did he really not no his pre-shot routine was always visualization he didn't take practice swings he doesn't sit there and, and do the whole rhythm thing now he does it now that he you know he's 80 some years old and he doesn't move as well yeah. but when he was playing he he didn't take a practice swing he saw it in his head this is no different than the data about those you know those uh, those two high school basketball teams where one shot a thousand free throws a day and the other one visualized a thousand yeah and the ones who visualized it actually performed better once they actually got out on court together so that doesn't surprise me you see your future and then you get i'll, I'll use a tie webism from caddyshack be your future <laughs> Uh, I want to I want to step back in to some of the stuff about working with governments and yeah and kind of the innovation center stuff. I think there's times, a lot of times in our lives, where we feel like the bureaucracy, the man, the the sure. you know the whatever it is, is kind of like keeping us from this thing because it is is it you know some slow moving, slow gear turning machine. Yeah. And sometimes that's one hundred percent the case. <laughs> sure. But but what the work that you're doing now specifically with governments and around building innovation, I think you're working with some amazing people that truly want to make a difference in their hometowns, yes. in their cultures, and have a lasting impact that lasts well beyond their tenure as an employee of that place. Yes. I think people lose sight of that a little bit. What are some of the things that you've been surprised about in the work that you've done in, in a lot of these different countries? I've been really surprised at, and again, you, you know, you know, I'm pretty much a libertarian and I'm a very small government kind of human and very about uh, do no harm, right? And just, just try and be a good person and try and help other people and move on. I have been pleasantly surprised by the, the hope and the attitude uh, and the mindset of the individuals inside these, these governments and these public places towards what's possible and the relentless energy they have to hopefully see it through. And they're not just blowing smoke they're coming up with ways to connect the dots. How do we fund this? How do we get it to where it can be a sustainable thing here? What do we need to do? And so right now, that's why I'm on the road all the time. They're pulling me in. We're doing workshops and keynote speeches and uh, meeting with all the appropriate people and having this conversation and telling the stories about the successes in places like Malaysia and Korea. And they're, they're um, let's just say, I think they're much more with it than, than I ever thought they would be. Because I always had the cynical sort of attitude yeah. towards government anyway right? But they're doing it. They're hustling. They are hustling. And they are trying to bring all the parties together. And they're trying to figure it out. 
But the one thing I know that we always need at the center of all of it, in my view, is a private, motivated, double bottom line entrepreneur who's had success in that market in the past, has a brand, has relationships, and bring all these parties together. And that's the, that's the one linchpin that, that's needed in each one of these markets, in my view, and where we've seen, seen the most success. What about the, you know, someone has to drive it. There has to be a leader. Yeah, yeah. There ha- I mean, there has to be like yeah. that. Um, and it needs to be, like I said, it needs to be a private leader working with the public in, in partnership with the public. Because they need to be motivated by their profit and their desire too. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how you build an ecosystem. And that person is the evangelist on the ground that is saying like, trust me, this worked for me. It can work for other people here, but we need a little bit of your support. Absolutely. Instead of just being a passive investor and the occasional mentor, or maybe somebody who's influencing policy, build an actual business model to build a sustainable ecosystem. It's got as many bottom lines as you can put on it. There's a tremendous social impact to this. So you, you know, the courses are now self-paced, location anywhere, all that stuff. But yeah. what is, talk to me about like how important it's been for you personally and your team to get boots on the ground in these countries and to work like at a local level with these people to see what the truth is on the ground. Because, you know, you talk about it's finding critical. the truth. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I as well as I do, 80% of Earth, you know, 80% of a rocket's fuel is burnt just trying to get out of the atmosphere. Yeah. Right. That's why I'm on the road all the time and I'm sacrificing time away from my family and, and the other things I want to do with my life to do this because I believe in it. And I believe that one day, whether it's us or someone else, there's going to be a coordinated ecosystem play that's interconnected across the globe. That's going to help everybody be successful. But part of that is being on the ground early, uh, working with these folks. The energy is, is incredible. I get so jacked going to these places. And I mean, they got me running, you know, 12 hours a day, just one event after another, meeting all these people. And, and it's fantastic. But I come out feeling like there's hope for this, you know, not just hope, but hope by itself is not a strategy, we know. <laughs> um, but there's an actual, there's action. So I, I, my job is trying to inspire them into action and give them the programming necessary to do it. And over time, that is evolved, that's going to evolve that's going to require growth X to just stay out front of the most relevant programming necessary to make that ecosystem successful, whether that's workforce readiness for the, for the talent, whether that's innovation for the big companies, whether that's growth and market acceleration for the startups and the incubators and uh, fund structure and management for the investors and economic and job creation metrics for the, for the government. Yeah, we, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast and Chad has actually reviewed the book Skin in the Game on the podcast as well. Somewhere around here, we're looking around our studio for, for the book. But uh, just talk quickly about like who has skin in the game as you're building these ecosystems, because it yeah. seems like you have so many different people that have either put up a significant amount of money or time mm-hmm. into the success of this. And I think... Yes. It, it seems like you have buy-in from so many different levels that want this to succeed. And yeah. that's kind of what makes it feel inevitable. It's like there's so much buy-in and time with the methodology that is has worked other places. Yeah, there's no question that this is a marathon, not a sprint, Ian. It has to be. We Again, like I always teach our entrepreneurs or I teach our sellers and marketers, look at how people, don't just look at what people do, but look at how they're measured in what they do to understand how you can really help them in a meaningful way. Yeah. So governments have a certain set of things they care about, right? Job growth um, is big for them. 
right? Yeah. Economic development is big for them. <laughs> Getting power, keeping power, growing power, also <laughs> big for them. And if you can tie yourself to those things for them, they've got skin in the game. I, well, I, and I want to say too, what's exciting about this is like good job growth. Yes. Like that's, relevant, lasting, sustainable stuff for the future, right? Yeah. Stuff that's going to be relevant, you know, and again, not the tactic. The tactic won't be relevant. Like, no. you know, what you're doing right now in growth marketing is not going to be relevant 20 years from now. But knowing that you can go back to the well and that this, the hub will be there, that those tactics are being taught is the important part. Yes, because foundationally, to me, it's all about teaching people how to think, not what to think. Totally. Right? It's no different than me as a parent. I've taught my kids, I, I think, I hope, um, how to think. And I actually overheard my son. We were on a college tour this last weekend. Oh, gosh. Um, tell a good friend of mine, one of one of my sort of mentors, who's kind of an uncle to the kids. So, you know, the best thing I've got from my dad is to how to, is I learned how to think for myself. And I, you know, took a swig of my drink and a little tear came down. <laughs> <laughs> got a chill. I was all, oh, that's, that's pretty great. good. Yeah. 15 years old. Because if, uh, if you taught him how to think like you, I don't think anyone could survive in that brain. I, <laughs> you're the only one. Sh- show up here yeah you have no idea <laughs> i have a pretty good indication um but yeah so that's the go- that's what the governments care about the entrepreneur gets a double bottom line they get to give back to their community and build a nice business right the corporations get a benefit which is they want to create and maintain a competitive advantage no no legacy business wants to be the next yellow cab in the age of uber yeah right they're scared to death of that they want to keep their talent engaged and retained and growing. So they need to provide programming to reskill and upskill them to support their digital transformations and the changes they're going through. The accelerators and the incubators, they need a business model and they don't have one, right? Outside of say corporate sponsorships and some events and maybe charging for, you know, butts and seats. Well, and that's the the thing is like, ultimately, I mean, that's the hard part, right? It's like, if if you just don't have the business model to support it. And that's where all of these different things converging in one place. I mean, it is the ultimate account-based marketing uh, complex sale. You're talking about the way to get 10 people to physically put money into one project is really freaking hard. Right. And then the investors, the private investors, like us, when we started this whole thing, were like, I'm just tired of watching my companies send me an email going, we're shutting down because we couldn't raise more money. Yeah, totally. When we all intellectually know that's bullshit. You, you misallocated the limited resources you were given in the wrong areas, or you didn't recognize early enough that you had to pivot because it wasn't a market need or there was a lack of differentiation, or you and your co-founder have been fighting since day one. And, you know, it's like couples counseling. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, what's funny about that is like, you're investing in them to solve the market need that they clearly delineated, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, so, so figure it out. Like, yeah. Yeah, the, but, yeah, but your just leaving them to their own right. devices is is also uh, ill advised. No, that's and, what I mean. Yeah, and yeah. so and and because and this is the other part, right? Venture capital is broken. The two and twenty model is not designed to support entrepreneurs at the incubation or the acceleration stage. In addition, many, and I love all the accelerators and incubators. Like I said, they should all exist. But I don't think factory based cohort driven accelerator programs and incubator programs are what it, are, are in the best interests of the entrepreneurs and the investors. Personally, that's been my experience. That's why ours is bespoke. It's highly customized and then it has a fund structure that funds helping those companies grow in, in exchange for equity as opposed to cash. So now you're giving the investor money. The investor's giving the entrepreneur 100,000 bucks 
then the fund is funding a market development team to help them grow for probably another hundred to 150,000, depending on how the math works out. And in exchange for that, you're just getting additional equity, but it's a little bit more valuable equity because it comes with help. And now the entrepreneur is getting the help they, they want and need. They're getting the cash they also need to support product development. And the investors are getting the deal de-risked by a team of known individuals that know how to grow them. And they're getting insights into, is this going to be bigger? Do I want to put more money in later? And now you build this, again, sort of private equity at the seed stage kind of a model. And you solve for that two in 20 problem. Because if you're writing a $100,000 check, the 2% management fee means I'm paid $2,000 a year to give a shit about you. Yeah, totally. And it just doesn't line up. So then all the help comes later if you can make it. But guess what? 70% of the funded ones don't make it to the later. This is really important. So if you invest $100,000 in a founding team yep. and in the current structure, mm-hmm. that means you have of that, you know, in the two and 20 model, yeah. you are in, you're saying we're going to give you $2,000 worth of support, essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's the math. And that's just the cold, hard truth of it. And that's why most of these seed stage funds can't help beyond introductions and network and that sort of thing. And that's all fine, but they can't put a team of people. You know, I put a a team of two or three people on working with a five person startup for six months, right? That cost me 140 grand on average, but I get equity in return for that. And I'm de-risking the deal. And, and the LPs love it because we're going to tell them if this is a winner or, or not. Yeah, because and I, we because we're going to be on the front lines with them, and I think that one of the biggest risks of a early stage company is that you got to go hire folks, and the number one cost in any organization is labor, and you can't make bad, you can't afford to make poor choices at exactly. this stage. So if you have a team of people that's been there, done that, that can help you on that on that road on that and, journey, and yeah. you have people that can help you plug talent in. And it's, they can teach you all the skills while they're doing it alongside you, right? There's teaching people to fish, there's giving them a fish, and then there's fishing alongside them. Yeah. Right? All three are possible and happen and should it, it, in varying degrees, but all three are different ways we manifest our help, right? Because ultimately the help matters is more valuable than the money. You know, I, there's so many good fishing analogies in business, um, <laughs> but but I want to, this is, this is great because you have the like, if the fish is your only means of food, right? Yes. And you're like, hey, we're going to go, Sean and I are going to go out on a boat together mm-hmm. and I have no idea how to fish. And you know all the fishing spots, mm-hmm. you know the different lures, mm-hmm. you know all the different places you can go, mm-hmm. um, but we got to eat together yep. also on this boat. Yeah. And so Sean's going to catch me fish for the first couple months mm-hmm. and then we're going to fish together mm-hmm. uh, where we're both catching some. And you're watching and experiencing yep. it the entire time and, and supporting it. And maybe you're cleaning the fish and maybe you're you're baiting the hook and maybe you're setting a reel and doing some things like that. Yeah. And then for the final couple of months, it's like, hey, you can go off on your own. And then now you can, uh, we can drop Sean off at the pier. He can get some yep. beers and then the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the team can get on the boat and then you can, uh, you can keep rolling. That's right. And then we can move on to the next person who needs to learn how to fish. And then once, you know, once we need to go get a bigger boat to put more people on the team, we go, wait, how do we, how do we fish? How do Jaws, we fish we're for gonna need uh, a bigger boat? Yeah. How do we fish with uh, 40 people on the boat? Yeah, um, but that's the idea. That, and that's the core essence of what we created by accident. We were just trying to solve our own problems. Most businesses fail early and they fail because of behaviors and markets, not because of products and, and, and technology. 
And so how do you address the behaviors in the market aspect of it in a measurable, programmatic way? And that's what our entire market acceleration framework is, is all about. And so everything built out of that. And then teaching that to people, doing it with them, and then developing other people to do it with them so we can get out of the way and then they can grow a scalable, predictable, repeatable, profitable business is what started. Last question. What do you never get asked that you wish you got asked on a podcast or in one of your talks? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, personally, professionally, what? A bit of both. I wish I wish people would ask more often, you know, what drives me? Yeah. You know, what are the th why do I do what I do? Like I, I don't get the why enough. I tell people why GrowthX exists, but I don't think they know personally why it matters so much to me that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think you and I kind of like t I think we end up talking about it more just cuz we have shared history. But yeah, I mean, especially like when you've had a few wins under your belt and a few uh, learning experiences, as you as Very you said, extensive learning experiences. Yes, I think that it, like you've been, I'm saying one, like the royal, the royal you, but also you personally have been down the dark road, yeah. you know, by yourself looking around, like saying, "Help ain't coming." <laughs> yes, and that many sucks. times, many times, and most people think that this, you know, su most success stories seem to be overnight. They feel overnight to them, but every overnight success story takes years. And people don't see that or realize that. And I think why I do what I do has less, it has nothing to do with what I'm doing. It has to do with what it does for others. What I think I've learned in my 46 years now on this earth is that my superpower is helping other people. And it gives me meaning and it certainly gives me joy and it is part of my passion. Um, like these moments give me energy, right? And, and I love it. But I think that because I love to help people so much, I want to do it at scale. Yeah. And so, you know, my vision is, is that one day that, you know, there's growth X is helping the world through entrepreneurship and innovation everywhere. And, and whatever form that looks like, I don't know. I hope it continues long after I'm gone. Usually most of my businesses have been much more successful after I've left. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I'm hoping this to be the last thing because I think it means that much when you look at what is coming right? The robots are coming. The fourth industrial revolution is going to change things for a long time, right? And look, I know Andrew Yang and, and, and his whole thing about universal basic income, it, it actually makes me physically ill. <laughs> um, not because I don't love Andrew and what he's done with Venture for America. You know, my partner, Andrew Goldner is also very involved with, with Venture. I just don't agree that that's the, the, the solution. I think that every technology creates a new set of problems and a new set of opportunities to address those problems with human intervention. And so that's the opportunity that's going to exist by 2050 for the, uh, you know, for the world. We're moving into a very much a service-based economy in that way. And I think that's a good thing and the opportunity is there. So we have to develop people to, to, uh, to address that. At Sean A. Shepard, on the Twitters. We'll link it up in the show notes. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks, man. I any, always enjoy being with you. Any final stuff? To, oh, I guess go to uh, gxacademy.com if you want to learn about the academy and growthx.com uh, to learn more. Anything else? Final thoughts? No, I just always, I, I, I want to again congratulate you and Chad on your early and large success here and at Stephanie, the mission. She's and full Stephanie, she's full-time now. She's full-time now. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And the mission baby. Yeah, How's yeah. the mission baby yeah, doing? Grayson's good. He's good. like just turned one. 
he's uh, cruising around. They're they're on vacation somewhere right now. Much needed vacation, that, of course. And uh, they've you guys have all worked so hard on this for so long, and I think this is such an important project for the I world. And appreciate I appreciate it. it. Hey, Sean. <laughs> Hi, brother. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, And if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.